0: We're on part three of our series, Questions that the Gospel Answers. And if you haven't heard the first two, I strongly recommend that you pick up the CDs in the back and, uh, and get caught up. Because, because really, we preach the gospel here. And if we don't understand the gospel, and we don't understand what the gospel is proclaiming, then we can misunderstand the whole story of the Bible. And in the first, first question that we answered, we, we looked at how, can we, how do we interpret the Bible? How can we make sense of the Bible? How can I read the Bible without being confused? And we found out that the Bible is a story, it's all about Jesus. When you search the scriptures, you should be looking for Jesus. And then last week, we found out that the story that's all about Jesus, that Jesus is all about the father jesus is all about revealing to humanity the true nature of god of who god really is and when jesus showed up on the scene he revealed the name of god as abba he re- revealed the name of god and who god is as our father our father and god didn't just start becoming our father when jesus showed up he had always been Our Father. But as we look at the true nature of God represented in Jesus Christ, and we look at the story of Jesus, and we look at everything that Jesus had done, and we see God as this loving Heavenly Father, and and that we are His beloved children, other questions should start creeping up in our head. Like the cross. If God is this loving Father, Why did he kill his son on the cross? Why did he murder his son? Has anybody ever heard of penal substitution? That's a theological term. And it's basically the idea that someone deserved to die for our sins. Someone deserved to die, and it was either going to be you... But Jesus loved us enough to step in and said, no, I will take their place. I will allow you to kill me, Father, so that they can live. Now has anybody heard of that? And that's not the gospel. See, I believe that Jesus was our substitution, but I do not believe that he was being punished by God. And you're going to find out, as we go through this, what exactly I mean. So God is his father. And, and, and he lost he lost his children. He's a good father. And, and any good father, if their children were taken by someone, if my children were taken by a, a, a slaver, you know, if, if my children were taken by sex traffickers. And I knew exactly where they were. What would a good father do? A good father would do whatever it took. Take every single resource that he had. And he would go and destroy that sex trafficking outfit and rescue his children. Right? And that's what happened to humanity. In Genesis 4:14 4, and 15, it says, "So the Lord God said to the serpent, "Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock stock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, you will eat the dust all the days of your life." And this is a great indication to understanding how the kingdom of Satan operates. The kingdom of Satan operates. He crawls on the face of the earth. He conforms to the natural. The kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of darkness, is conformed to natural things. It's of the flesh, in the passions of the flesh. The only thing he has available to him is the natural world. And he says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. This enmity, this this warring against the powers of darkness, all men have it. All men despise the brokenness of this world. And he says that there's going to come one, the seed of the woman. Women don't have seeds, do they? Men have seeds. Women have eggs, right? But there was going to come one, seed that was going to come from a woman. And what was he going to do? He was going to crush your head and you will strike his heel. There's a movie that uh, I I think I brought it up before, the movie Taken. I know that you guys have probably never seen the movie Taken because you guys are way too holy to watch a movie like this, but your pastor isn't. So there was this movie Taken and, and the main character in it had a daughter that was, was stolen by sex traffickers. And he just happened to be an ex-CSI, not CSI, CIA agent. And there's a line in the movie where he's on the phone talking to these sex traffickers. And he says this to them, let my daughter go now. That will be the end of it. I will not look for you. I will not pursue you. But if you don't, I will look for you, I will find you, and I will kill you. See, that, 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 that statement right there, that phrasing, it just awakens the grizzly bear love of the Father. Don't touch my kids. If you hurt my kids, I'm going to hurt you. And what people don't realize is that what we just read in Genesis chapter 4. In Genesis chapter 2, God gave us liberty. And, and Genesis chapter chapter 3, chapter 3, 3, 3 we, obeyed. we didn't listen to God. We did our own thing. And that allowed us to be taken into the, to the life of a sla- uh, the slave industry. And we lost it all. And what people don't realize, that what God was saying to that serpent, is exactly what, what Neam what's his name? Nean? Liam Nielsen, Nielsen, I'm good at this stuff said to that slaver. In that dark hour, hour of our fall, our loving father <clears throat> declared war on our abductor. He looked the serpent in the eye and spoke of one who would come and bring vengeance on his head and on the cross. God delivered on that promise. See, we've been looking at the cross through the lens of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Through the tree of knowledge of good and evil, someone had to pay for all our wrongdoings. And yes, we've been forgiven through the cross, but our greatest need wasn't forgiveness, is was freedom, to be set free. Since the fall, mankind has viewed God through a cracked lens. Moments after, moments after the fall of man, man, the whole relationship between man and God changed. It shifted. See, God used to walk with man in what? The cool of the day. Right? He walked, he talked. And now, Adam heard God coming, and what did he do? He hid. And we've been hiding from God ever since. Our relationship was twisted through our newfound knowledge of good and evil. We were created in His image, but through the fall we became the negative of His image. We projected our brokenness onto God and created a deity in our own likeness. Most of the gods that we hear preached is a God that this is what I would do if I was God. This man made God embodies our deepest fears and insecurities. He is the law incarnate. He's one who counts our sins and grows angrier by the moment. He is a judge to be feared rather than loved. And apparently, he is a father who tortures and kills his own son to satisfy some legal need for blood. It's going to get, don't worry. I know I'm stepping on a lot of things that you've believed. <clears throat> you look at Christ's death on the cross and you may wonder, why Why did this happen? In the religion of men, the religion based on the knowledge of good and evil will answer, we were born criminals, we entered the world stained with sin and bad to the bone. The moment you took your first breath you were offensive to God and before you knew right from wrong you were condemned to die God is just in condemning you because your sin is so great but he is also kind because he killed his own son in your place someone had to be punished to appease God's wrath and it was better that Jesus did it than you that's basically what we hear And then we're told, now if you repent and declare your love for this murderous God, you can claim your ticket to heaven where you will spend eternity in the presence of this monster. Is it any wonder why the world can't understand why we worship God? And most of the time we worship just out of fear. A fear of what God is going to do to us if we don't. And there's no fear in love. And God is love. The gospel of Jesus is infinitely better than the the religion of the knowledge of good and evil. It reveals a God who loves you like a father. God never changes. Do you know that? God never, ever changes. So if this God that Jesus revealed to us, and Jesus is the one we worship, Jesus is our Savior, correct if the God that he reveals to us is this loving heavenly father who's this other character that we keep on being told about see God loved you when he was you were a baby he's going to love you when you're old he loves you when you're good and he loves you when you're bad he never changes he is love your behavior cannot diminish his love for you this is the true message of the cross In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says, But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When did God love you? After Christ died for you? No. While we were yet sinners. Why did Jesus come to die? Why, did, why the cross? Why did Jesus come to die? Because God loves us and didn't want to lose us. The whole Old Testament. Everything is going to make such better understanding as we, as we go through this. The cross is not about satisfying some legal need for blood, nor is it about appeasing an angry deity. The cross is divine retribution against those things that harm God's beloved children. See, what we've got to understand is that God hates sin not because of sin, but because of what it does to his children. God has never hated you. He's always hated sin. And the reason why he hates sin is because of what it does to you. It's your heavenly father. The cross is your heavenly father applying the hammer of hard justice to the head of the serpent. That's what the cross is. The cross is our way out of prison. It's our ticket to life and liberty. See, I'm a father, and and sometimes when I drive, I don't always know where I'm going. And Let's just say we were driving to Detroit, maybe going to a Tiger game, I don't know. And I thought I knew a shortcut, I knew a better way to do things, so I, I, I took a shortcut and got lost, and the way it is in Detroit, you can go one block over, and things change rapidly. And we ended up somewhere where we did not want to be, somewhere where we didn't want to go. Because of the choice that I made as the father. See, Adam did that exact same thing. That's how it is with us and our forefather Adam. He took a wrong turn and we ended up where we didn't want to be. Instead of walking on the shores of our father's love, we ended up in, caught up in Satan's rebellion. Adam and Eve became the first prisoners of an ancient war, and every one of their children and their children's children were born into a POW camp. You were born into sin. Sin and the devil, sin and Satan is one and one. It's the same thing. You were born into his kingdom, in his rulership, of his authority. You were born with the knowledge of good and evil. See, we think the knowledge of good and evil, to know the difference between right and wrong, that was never God's intent. We were only to know God. So we were born into this POW camp. The religion of the knowledge of good and evil says we were born criminals, but the Bible says we were born prisoners to sin. See, you don't, we're going to talk about this in a little bit. You don't sin... Your sinning, your actions, don't, does not make you a sinner. You sin and have those actions because you are a sinner. And in Christ Jesus, you were a sinner. Do you understand that? That is your nature. You were born into that prison system. You were born into that destructive system of sin, of the knowledge of good and evil. Look at what Romans chapter 6 says. In Romans chapter 6, verse 17, it says, But thanks be to God that though you were slaves to sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. Romans 6.20, For when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. See, what we don't understand and we never hear taught is that you do the bad things that you did is because you were born into it. It was your nature. You were a slave. You had no freedom. You were forced to act that way because that's your slave master. In Galatians chapter 4, look at what this says. However... In verse 8, however, at that time when you did not know God, you were slaves to those which by nature are no gods. We were slaves to our lusts. We were slaves to our appetites. We were slaves to the flesh. We were slaves to do all these things. We were slaves to anger and bitterness and revenge and stealing and robbing and lust. We were slaves to those things. The Apostle Paul is not saying we were captive to some bad habits. The word for sin, and throughout the Bible, 90% of the time, the word for sin is a noun. What's a noun? A person, place, or thing. So when he's talking about sin, see, we interpret it because of the law of knowledge of good and evil, that religion system that we've been taught, we interpret it as every time we read the word sin, we return. Interpret it as our actions. But the New Testament writers didn't interpret it that way. They interpreted it as a system, a person, a place. It's Satan. It's it's his kingdom. It's his way. It's a noun. It's not a verb. Sin is a slaver. He's a monster. And he's a villain. It's not that we were born bad. It's that we were born into slavery. God, and God didn't put us there. Adam did. Romans 5.8. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all sinned. By heeding to the serpent, Adam condemned himself and his children to death. God tried to warn Adam, but Adam didn't listen. It was man's decision, and because of his decision, we all paid the price. Look at what John 8.32 says. Jesus says, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. It's interesting how much, as you start looking at it this way, how much there's this talk of needing to be set free, and that we were slaves. Religion says our greatest need is to be forgiven of our crime of being born, but our real need is to get out of Adam's POW camp. You understand that? Yes, we have been forgiven. All of the sin acts that you did have been forgiven, but that wasn't your greatest need. Your greatest need was to be freed from that system, freed from the slave master. Religion says you need to be good, but according to Jesus, he says you need to be free. Why do we need to be set free? Because apart from God, we are not free. We may think we're free, but our freedom is an illusion. It is the restricted liberty of a slave or a prisoner. The Bible calls it this present evil of age. The Bible calls it the dominion of darkness. It's life. In life without God, life in this kingdom is inferior and inferior reality. And it just leads to life being meaningless and um, controlled by uh, by our own fears. The natural man might think, you know, life's not that bad. But that's because he doesn't know what he's missing out on. He doesn't really know what God intended life to be like. The enslaved life is all he knows. And unfortunately, many believers also are still prisoners of their, to their unrenewed mind. Look at what Ephesians 4 says. In Ephesians 4, chapter 17, it says, So this I say, in affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God, because of their ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. They're excluded from the life of God, not because God has excluded them, but because they have excluded themselves through being ignorant and having a, a hard a hardness of heart. And Titus Chapter 3, verse 3, he puts it this, Paul puts it this way. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. In Hebrews, it also puts it this way. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 15, "...and, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery." All their lives. And he's talking about Jesus Christ, that, that Jesus Christ's sac- sacrifice has freed us from being slaves in the fear of death. What the New Testament writers understood is that the natural man is alienated from God, he's enslaved to all kinds of passions and pleasures, and is bound up in the fear of death. God made man free, but sin enslaved us. Our greatest need is to be set free from sin and all the cursed effects. Sickness, disease, oppression, poverty, injustice is because of sin and is because of men cooperating with sin for the hardness of their heart. Why do bad things happen in the world? Why are there um, wars? Why are there famines? What, you know, why, why are we killing one another? Why is there genocide? Why, why are people starving in the world? It's because of the hardness of men's hearts. It's because of sin. It's because of sin. Now maybe you understand why Jesus came to bring a new kingdom. The kingdom of God. What is freedom? The world defines freedom like this. If it feels good, do it. But live this way, and your appetites and those who feed them will control you. You won't be free at all. And you've all experienced it. You've given yourself over to habits. You've given yourself over to a, a way of thinking. You've given yourself over to destructive patterns. And before you knew it, you were just toying with it. It was just fun. It made you feel good. But now it controls you. It tells you what you're going to do with your money, it tells you when you're, what you're going to do with your life. It d- takes every aspect of your life and how you see and manipulate and control others in your life. You're a slave. Religion defines freedom like this. Do good and avoid bad. But that way leads to pretending. And we know this is true because that's what people say. Christians are a bunch of hypocrites. They're two-faced. They act one way on Sunday and act different every other day of the week. Live like this and you'll end up a wretch... Up wretched and religious like the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the biggest do-gooders of, of Jesus' time. Yet Jesus said they were slaves to sin. They thought they were God's right-hand men, but did not even know that they were prisoners of sin. They were just as bound as the sinners that they despised. Look at what Jesus told them. In John chapter eight, verse thirty-two, it says, You or that's yeah, thirty-two to thirty-six. You will know the truth. And the truth will make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? What's so funny about this is God wasn't even, or Jesus wasn't even talking about um, in the natural realm being slaves. But what's so funny about this is during this very, very time that he was saying this, the Romans had them in captivity. But Jesus says to them, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. See, these religious leaders that thought that they were, if they could just be good enough, if they could just keep the law good enough, if we couldn't, if we're just not like those publicans, those tax collectors, the prostitutes and the harlots, if we're just not like them, then we're free. And what Jesus is trying to tell them is that you, the only way that you can be free is to be set free from this whole system. What does real free, freedom look like? Jesus showed us, for he lived truly free, a free life. Jesus lived free from fear, anxiety, sickness, and all other symptoms of sin. He knew what it was to receive love and to give love in return. Jesus is our example. We got a lot of, and I'm talking to myself, a lot of renewing of the mind that we need to do. He walked every day in the Father's favor and, and was in the world, but was not of the world. The, his reality was supernatural. He brought heaven to earth everywhere he went. This is the life he offers us. This is the glorious freedom of the children, the children of God. And you see, it, this is, uh, hopefully, things are starting to click. Because I know that there's people that's, that's read the Bible, read the New Testament, and, and you hear these awesome, lofty, heavenly promises of how life's supposed to be. And you look at your own life and you're thinking, it's not lining up. How can I become like this? And the truth of the matter is, you've already arrived. Believe it, walk in it, walk out of the prison. Who's a sinner? In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So what's Paul saying here? We've all heard this scripture. When the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, it doesn't mean that all are bad. This is going to, think about this for a second. Because I know you guys have read these scriptures and you're thinking, why this doesn't line up with what, what God says that we're all bad people. The Bible also says that some people were blameless. right? Zechariah, Jesus' uncle and Elizabeth? It says in Luke chapter one verse six, it says, "All the Lord's commandments and decrees they did all they observed all the Lord's commandments and decrees and, was bl- and were blameless." So they followed all the law of God and were blameless. But God is not impressed by good behavior, but faith. Faith is what pleases God. Faith in him. See, they were following. When Gabriel showed up and talked to Zechariah about that he was going to have a son, John the Baptist, remember this? Even though he was good. He still lacked faith. God shows up. An angel shows up and and says that he's going to have a son. He says, how can this be? And what did Gabriel do? Removed his speech until the son was born. He was unbelieving. He had no faith in God. Job Job is another one. The Bible said about Job that he was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. But he was still the property of the slave master. See, that's what people don't understand. We've always concentrated on our actions. It's not about our actions. It's about what kingdom we live in. It's about what's our identity. What is our true nature? That's why you had to be born again. So what does Paul mean when he states all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? It means that we're part of a reality that falls short of God's reality. See, I've shared this before, and I've got to hurry, but sin means to miss the mark. Right? And I've always, in and, and, and one interpretation, and, and I agree with this interpretation, but I think it's even bigger than this. The interpretation is a bullseye. And unless you hit that dead center every single time, you've missed the mark, correct? And Jesus is the only one that hits the bullseye every single time. But there's even a a, a bigger picture here. When we walk away from the actions of sin and we look at, we don't even have the mark in us. We don't have it in us to be righteous. We don't have it in us to be holy. We do not have it in us. We're missing the mark. We are in sin. Not we are sinners, even though we do sinful acts. We are in sin. So no matter how good you are, you don't have it in you. It's not. Like, let me explain it this way. You run out of gas in your automobile. So you go into the trunk and you pull out a gas tank. And the gas tank is empty. And you dump that empty gas tank into your empty car tank. See, there's, you can dump as much as you want in there, but there's none in there. It ain't going to help. And that's what religion does. It tries over and over and over and over and over again. If I just do this, God will be satisfied with me. If I just pray this much. If I, if I you know, some people go as far as if, you know, we're coming up to Easter there's people in other countries that are going to crucify people. They're going to be, they, they think that they need to suffer like Jesus suffered. There's people that pray in, on, on glass. There's, there's people that whip themselves. And they're, they're, they call themselves Christians. If we can just do enough, then God will be satisfied with us. We're part of a reality system that falls short of God's reality. Who is a sinner? It's everyone inside the prison. It's anyone who settles for an inferior reality of life without God. Look at what Jesus said in John chapter 8. Jesus answered them and says, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. It's not that our sinning makes us a slave. We sin because we are slaves. We can't help it. The operating system of this present age is flesh-based. It promotes trust in self rather than trust in God. See, we need a Holy Ghost system upgrade. And through Jesus Christ, we've received it. We need a new operating system. The self-righteous may say, I'm basically a good person. I'm not hurting anyone. But Adam could have said that. But he missed it big time. He missed it big time. The issue is not what you're doing. It's, it's what, whether or not you're becoming who God created you to be. God had a dream. He wrapped your body around it. Life is an adventure of discovering that dream and learning who we really are. So who rescued us? Who rescued us? If you were a first century Jew raised on a heavy diet of the law and temple sacrifice, it would make sense to describe the cross in the language of sacrifice as it is done to the epistles, the epistle to the Hebrews. Right? Well, here, here's what he said in using the language of sacrifice. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26, it says, "Otherwise." He would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the consummation of the ages, he has been manifest to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. In Hebrews 10:12, it says, But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. So I can understand why why the writer of Hebrews would would describe Jesus as the sacrifice because he was fulfilling the law and the prophets and showing that he was the perfect sacrifice, the sacrifice once for all time. But the thing is, is you you aren't first century Jews. So it makes more sense to describe the cross as a rescue mission as Paul does when he writes to the Gentiles. See, this goes back to rightly dividing the word of God. Who was he writing to? Right? You're a Gentile. I don't know if you knew that. Or well, you were a Gentile. Now you're a Christian. But in Galatians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, it says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father in the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. See, there, there. There's those words Abba, God being revealed as Father. But what was it? It was a rescue mission. He rescued us from what? This present evil age. The cross is not about satisfying some bizarre need for blood. The cross is a rescue mission carried out by the greatest team of superheroes in history. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in Colossians. Verse 12, it says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. God has qualified you. This, this, I love the Bible. I love reading the Bible. He has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. For he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his beloved Son. God has rescued us. He has translated us out of the kingdom of darkness, out of the dominion of darkness, and we are in the kingdom of God. So who rescued us? See, Paul told us in Galatians it was Jesus, right? But here in Colossians, it says that God rescued us, did the rescuing. Which is it? It was both of them working together. It was a joint effort. It was a joint effort. The Bible says that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. It wasn't that God was pouring out his wrath upon Jesus. He was pouring his wrath out upon something else, and we'll see that in just a little bit. In the Garden of Eden, the Father delivered the threat, and at the cross, the Son carried it out. So what about the Holy Spirit? How does he figure into this rescue plan? Look what Jesus said. In Luke chapter 4, verse 18, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners and recover of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Who was the prisoners that needed freedom? We were. Every single one of us. We were the poor in need of grace. We were the blind who were in darkness. We are the oppressed, bruised by the shackles of sin. Thank God for the Holy Spirit who empowered Jesus to set us free. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is freedom. Do you see now why this religious emphasis on good or bad behavior is irrelevant? You can be a good slave... Or you can be a bad slave. And it makes no difference at all. You are still a slave. Jesus did not come to institute a reform school for convicts. He came to proclaim liberty throughout the land. See, now you're going to realize why the gospel is good news. If you really can grab hold of this, we are free. Christ is our long-awaited year jubilee. In Christ, the enslaved sons of God are redeemed, and we get to go home. We get to enter the party. What happened on the cross? The best way to take a look at, understand, and get a picture of what happened on the cross is to look at the the prophetic story of, of Egypt and the children of Israel. They were enslaved and mistreated for 400 years, and their story parallels our own. In their story, the part of the, the, the deliverer was played by who? It was pl- played by Moses, who was a type of Jesus, the great deliverer, right? Look at the parallels. Moses and Jesus. Moses was the only Hebrew not owned by Pharaoh. Moses was fr- a free man used by God to liberate a nation of, free, of slaves. You ever think of that? that Moses was one of the Hebrews, he was one of the Jews, he was one of the children of Israel, but he was freed. He was separate from them. He wasn't part of the system. Jesus is the only human who wasn't a slave to sin. Since Jesus isn't of Adam, he's not part of the slave race, he makes, which makes him an ideal savior. Why was the virgin birth? Why is the virgin birth so important? Because the virgin birth is so important. is because it's not about doing right and wrong. It's about what kingdom? Who's your father? Is Satan your father or is God your father? That's why it's so important. Pharaoh, Pharaoh represents the villain. The slaver called sin. Pharaoh had no desire to free the slaves. So God destroyed him. Pharaoh and his entire slave-based system were crushed under the mighty hand of God. After the Red Sea, the Israelites had nothing to fear from Pharaoh. He was dead, his army was drowned, and his corrupt government was in ruin. See, we read the story and we think, man, God was really over the top there. God really, you know, the signs, the wonders, the plagues, the everything. It just seems so over the top. The reason why it was is because he wanted you to have a clear picture of what he did to sin. He wanted you to understand what happened at the cross. That the slaver has been destroyed, his kingdom has been destroyed. And the prison doors are open and wide and free. In Romans 8, 3, it says, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh. Was the law bad? No. But we had no strength in us. We were the weak ones. We had no ability. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. I love what this just said. I, just reading this, it just popped out to me. It says, that, it, that for what the law could not do, that in that it was weak through the flesh. So what God wanted to do through the law, and it couldn't do because we were weak in the flesh, it goes on to say, God did by sending his son. God did it. God did it. Everything that God wanted to obtain through the law, he did it. So, you're righteous, you're holy because God did it. It's done. It's a finished work. On the cross, God condemned sin. The Amplified Bible says He subdued it, He overcame it, He deprived sin of its power. If you need a picture of what God did, look at Pharaoh at the bottom of the Red Sea. That's what God did to sin. If you need another picture, look at Sodom and Gomorrah. Totally destroyed. See, what what you have to understand is all these stories in the Old Testament was God trying to stop sin from destroying humanity. He already had it get up to the point where it was only... Eight people left. The story of Noah. And he vowed that he would never, ever again destroy the world with a flood. And so we see him pruning back as, as a nation. You know, he makes comments. He makes comments like the, 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 the cup of sin has, has, has not been, has, hasn't come full yet of the Amorites and all of these, these things. Given people the chance to repent, the chance to change their ways. But when a civilization becomes so evil, becomes so darkened in their understanding, God, for the sake of all his children, he had to prune back until Jesus came. Until Jesus came. And now God doesn't have to prune back because the power of sin has been destroyed. On the cross, God condemns sin. So how did he do it? The details are a mystery. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 gives us some understanding. He says, "God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God." See, God made him who had no sin. God made him who was not missing the mark because he had the mark to become sin. To become the noun, not actions, the noun of sin. That in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Us that had no mark in us, now we have the mark of God in us. We are righteous because we've been made righteous. Not because of your actions, but because that's who you are. When God looks at you, he sees Jesus. What do you see? Sin had no hold on Jesus, but on the cross, Jesus took hold of sin. And God, as Jesus held tight, God poured out his wrath in fury. I like the imagery of a wrestling match, WWF style. Jesus and God versus the kingdom of darkness and it was tag team. And Jesus grabbed a hold of the kingdom of darkness, got, grabbed a hold of sin, tagged God, and God climbed up on top of the top rope, and he came down with everything he had on the head of that serpent. And it was over. Why do it this way? Why, do, why the cross? Because God couldn't t- tackle sin directly without killing us. Sure, he could have nuked the POW camp. He could have nuked the kingdom of darkness. But we belong to him. The Bible, Paul uses terminology like married to him. Now we're married to Christ. Because we died and we're freed from the law of sin and death. And we've been joined to another. We would have ended up like Sodom and Gomorrah. He came undercover. God came undercover, disguised in a human form. He looked like a slave, but he wasn't a slave. The cross tells us two things about God. First, it tells us he loves us more than he loves his own life. Second, it tells us that if God is for us, nothing can stand against us, not even sin. The freedom of that, to know that that right now, there's some of you sitting here and that you're not walking in your true identity. You're, You're walking still in the unrenewed mind and and thinking that you're just like Adam. You don't see yourself like Christ. And, and there are things right now that you feel like you have to hide from God. And what's so funny is he knows where you're at. And, and you're hiding from God, and you're thinking that what you have done, your actions have separated you from your God. And I'm telling you right now that sin does not have the power to separate you from God. Sin does not have the power to separate you from God. The good news of the cross, the good news that the cross declares that the power of sin has been completely broken over your lives. Our enemy has been disarmed and defeated and our sins have been removed as far as the east are from the west. I put that on Facebook a couple, maybe a month ago, that the east went looking for west and couldn't find him. Our enemy has been disarmed and defeated. Our sins have been removed from the east to the west. The implications of this is staggering. Look at what Romans says in Romans chapter 4, verse 8. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. God is not taking your sins into account. Your sins are no longer being held against you. Look at what Romans chapter 8 says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That's freedom. That's brave heart freedom. Freedom. Look at what you once were condemned. But you have been blessed with the gift of no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Look at what Ephesians chapter 1 says. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. We've been redeemed. If you have been forgiven once, you have been forgiven once and for all throughout time because of the blood of the Lamb. 1 Corinthians 6.11, it says, And certain of you were these. Were what? In context, go back and read it. He was he listed off a bunch of sin actions. That's what their identity was. Fornicators, adulterers, thieves, backbiters, gossips, liars, all these things it says that certain of you were these. See, there's so many of us in the church even that don't realize that that's who you were. But ye were washed. But ye were sanctified. But ye were declared righteous in the name of the Lord Jesus and in the spirit of our God. We've been set free. In Christ, your status has changed from sinner to righteous. Just as sin had no claim on Jesus, guess what? Sin has no claim on you. None. Nada. Zip. Your forgiveness is an eternal, eternally unshakable fact. But now you're probably asking two other questions. The religious may ask, are you saying that all all are now saved? To which I respond, repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God is at hand and through faith in Christ and his perfect work, you get to participate in it. Since the Father has qualified you, your sins cannot disqualify you. The only way you can miss out on on it is if you don't believe it. There are so many people, like the elder son, that's standing outside the party of the story of the, the good father, the prodigal sons. I call it the good father. There's so many of us that are standing outside the party not realizing that God has qualified you. That your sin cannot disqualify you. And the only way that you can miss out on it is by not believing. If you refused to leave the, the, the shackles of prison. See, that's why it's of faith. God died for the whole world. Jesus died once for all, right? Jesus, every time someone gets saved, Jesus doesn't come down and get, die again. Right? Can we understand that? All of your sins were future tense. Do you know that? So if Jesus didn't die for the sins that you haven't even committed yet. He didn't die for any of your sins because all your sins were future tense. Right? This is good news. The carnal-minded person we'll be asking so are you saying we can sin free from liability stupid no to which i respond why would you want to have anything to do with your old life of sin the question misses the point before the cross we had no choice we were slaves to sin whether whether we were good or bad we were slaves but after the cross, we have a choice. We can stay in the prison or we can run free. We can live according to the old law of sin and death or according to the new law of the spirit of life. And the sons and daughters are free. And that's good news. And that's the gospel. Isn't that so much better? Isn't that so much better that to hear that God... It wasn't just God putting up with you. It wasn't just God saying, okay, Jesus, I really wanted to wipe them out. But for you, I'm not going to wipe them out. To realize that God truly is a good, good Father. That he had this plan to rescue us from the beginning of time. Amen. Next week, we're going to be looking at the resurrection. What's that mean? What's the, what 's the God what is the gospel what 's the answer the gospel gives us about why did Jesus rise from the dead amen let 's pray father we just thank you we thank you for your great love we thank you for your mercy we thank you that we are free and the sons who the son sets free is free indeed we are indeed free Father help us give us the wisdom give us the the new lens of Jesus Christ to see us in our freedom, freedom, to see that sin is powerless, that all it is is a lie that is trying to deceive us, that we are king's kids, we are righteous, we are holy. As Jesus is, so are we in this world. Father, we thank you that you have given us your spirit, and we are the temple of the living God, and you live in us. Holy Spirit, convict us of our righteousness. Convict us of who we truly are, our identity in Christ Jesus. Oh, Lord, give our hearts new want-tos. And Father, we thank you. We thank you that when we slip into that old garment, when we slip into that old nature, we're still free, that we can't be bound there, that that doesn't disqualify us because we can't qualify ourselves in the first place. Jesus has qualified us, and we can just say, Lord, forgive me. And you tell us you will be forgiven before you even asked. And we come back into that perfect union with you. We love you, Lord. We celebrate you. And we will bring this good news of the gospel to this world, to our communities, and to our families by the grace of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Caris New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.carisntc.org. And remember, you are deeply loved, highly favored, and destined to reign in Christ Jesus.